0: Little honey bees flying around Little green peas from the ground buttermill biscuits nice and brown Bring it to Tennessee farm table Butter beans peas, beets and chard Chickens running in the yard Catfish frying in that lard Bring it to Tennessee farm table Cast on skillets, good and hot Watch it steam and crack and pop Cornbread bacon in that stove Bring it to TNC farm table Pick them maters, good and ripe Dropping black and candy stripes Look at them loading down those vines Bring it to TNC farm table Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table.
1: Good Saturday morning and welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table, a show dedicated to the people of our region who produce, prepare, and preserve our regional foods and agricultural products. This is your hostess, Amy Campbell. The song that you just heard was sung by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. Today we're setting the table with mineral water. Straight from East Tennessee, we're going up to Newmarket, Tennessee to Houston's Mineral Well. It is owned and operated by third-generation Houston, Bill Houston. You might know him as a former professor of art for 40 years at Carson Newman University, and he's also a fantastic artist. Bill is going to tell us the history of Houston's mineral well and how his granddaddy built this well, the story behind it. It's a real community treasure up in Newmarket, Tennessee, as well as Bill. We also have Mary Constantine, food writer for the Knoxville New Sentinel. She's going to share a couple of recipes for real tasty pimento cheese. Thank you so much for sitting at our table with us here today. We're just proud to have your good company. Now let's get started.
2: I faced
3: a barren waste without the taste of water, cool water, old and then I with throats burned dry and so.
1: It's Eddie Arnold with Cool Water. In the first part of our interview with Bill Houston, he's going to talk about how Houston's Mineral Well came to be. If you'd like to follow along online, the website is Houston'sMineralWater.com. As you hear this interview, you might hear in the background Bill's wife, Krista Reese, who is this fantastic food writer, and just lovely person, preparing dinner, and also my husband's helping her. They had us up for dinner, and that is when I recorded this.
2: My grandfather, we're now in my grandfather's old store, which I converted into an apartment and a living quarters and an art studio back about 20 years ago. But uh, my grandfather used this as a general store, and it was also the bus station in Newmarket and the front part of it was the bus station. And you'd come in and get a ticket and all that, and they had these, all these chairs and a Coke machine and a big rack with laced potato chips and a big glass thing that had Tom's peanut log rolls in it. <laughs> and uh, they put out a flag if they had somebody that wanted to go either to Asheville or to Knoxville. People would get a bus ticket, and it was about, I think it ran 55 cents to go to Knoxville. And uh, that was a lot of money for some people, but uh, it was also a, kind of a, uh, the equivalent when I was a child of what a convenience store is now in which they just had uh, immediate things that a person would want. And But when my grandfather ran it up until probably the early 1950s, it was more like a country general store and they sold everything. And uh, this particular second floor where we're seated now, there were books and magazines and there were uh, housewares and glasses and forks and spoons and dishes and plates and tablecloths and napkins. And all it was all on these huge big tables that just went the length of the building. They sold phonograph records, they sold phonograph needles, they sold shoes, they sold everything. And it was all here on this second floor. And that was all kind of closed down after my grandfather died. He built this building in 1922, and he handmade all of the concrete blocks from a machine that he ordered from Sears Roebuck. And they would mix concrete by hand and put it in a mold and pull this big lever and it would squish it down into this mold and it would uh, the mold would then come apart and they would then slide them down and they could make about 10 or 12 concrete blocks a day. So he made all of these concrete blocks anticipating that he was gonna build this uh, building. He originally started out uh, as a telegrapher for the Southern Railways and he lived in Wataga. and he came down here and he got a job with Southern Railways and he operated the telegraph and uh, sent uh, Western Union messages up and down the line and also would send info to the other um, uh, trains as to what was happening and all of that. And uh, he got He was an incredibly bright guy and he made enough money that he invested into an open pit zinc mine. And it was a big hit. And they used to have mules and guys with picks and shovels uh, mining zinc. And he and three or four other guys were in together. And my grandfather saw the fact that it might play out and they might need to go underground. And he didn't want to really have anything to do with that. And so he sold his part of the zinc mine and was able to invest the money in whatever it took to build this building. And so this is kind of long stretched out kind of a uh, origin here. But in the late 1920s and early 1930s, he started having terrible kidney problems. And he went to a doctor And in 1929, 30, there was very little that you could do with kidney problems. And there were some things. And they restricted his diet and all of this. And he was, uh, gave him laudanum to take for the pain, paragoric and laudanum. And he was in a lot of pain. And uh, they diagnosed it to be very, very severe and operable kidney stones. And they were just really, really agonizing. And uh, He thought he was gonna die from them and he probably would have. Uh, He had a dream one night. And in this dream, he said that he had a vision in which there was a voice. But his sister said that he saw an angel and his son said that he just heard a voice. But uh, he had this incredibly profound and very uh, real dream. And the next morning, he put a stick in the ground and said, we have to drill a well to this depth of 252 feet here. And they all thought he was nuts. And uh, next thing you know, there's a well drilling crew here. And they're setting up the thing and they're drilling. And... uh, they hit water twice on the way down. I think once at about 90 feet, another one at about 150 feet, but because it wasn't at 252 feet, which he was told in the dream, they poured concrete down into the uh, shaft around a pipe and then drilled through the center of the pipe again and kept going. And at 252 feet, they hit water. And it was crystal clear and it came out and like this, the neighbor said, it sounded like a, a cannon going off. He said it was a, a big whomp sound and uh, there was a, a pressure and they started pumping the water and it just from the very first seconds, it was crystal clear. Generally, it would have to pump for days cause it'd be full of sand and mud and all sorts of things. And so he started drinking the water And in about six weeks, he went back to the doctor, and there was no sign of any of the kidney problems. And he had dissolved and passed the kidney stones, and he thought this was just a miracle. And so he started giving this water away to anybody that wanted it. And so uh, the rumor got around that it cured kidney problems. And so he would uh, get empty glass bottles and fill it up, and he would take it to people or get his son to take it to people. They dream, they'd feel better. And so word got around and there was this uh, extraordinary guy named Lloyd Cunningham who was an African-American guy that worked for my grandfather and worked as a stock um, uh, clerk in the store. And he would put, they had these incredibly high shelves and have would climb ladders and get cans down off of it and all that, and he would fill these, Uh, Orders that people would have in cardboard boxes and stuff and they would take it to your house. They'd make deliveries. And it got to the point where there were so many people coming and wanting water and he would have to go out and operate the pump that my grandfather couldn't use him in the the store anymore. And so he had to actually be out there pumping water all the time. And so even though Mr. Cunningham had a job working part-time on the Southern Railway uh, at the depot, and working part-time for my grandfather, he made more money in a day from tips pumping water than he made in his salary job. So he quit his salary jobs and started doing that the whole time. Well, anyway, uh, word got around that it had these curative properties. And so my grandfather built, a, again, a concrete block building, which still stands, around the well and installed an electric pump, and they could just shut it on and pump water and then shut it back off. And uh, it got to be very popular.
1: If you've just joined us, you're listening to an interview with Bill Houston of New Market, Tennessee, telling us the story of Houston's Mineral Water. To figure out how to get to Houston's Mineral Water, more information on the website, Houston's mineral water. Com. After the short break, we'll continue with the second part of our interview with Bill Houston. Support for the Tennessee Farm Table is provided in part by Ellie's Home providing fine flowers for home and garden, seasonal staging, weddings, and floral decor from private to commercial. Currently scheduling with future brides on the perfect floral design for weddings. To schedule an appointment and for more information, the website is elliesfloral.com. That is spelled E L L I E S floral.com. Ellies Floral you can always tell Ellie's home. Support for the Tennessee Farm Table comes in part from Magpie's Bakery in downtown North Knoxville, just one block north of Broadway on North Central Street. Magpie's Bakery can accommodate most budgets and styles from a simple rustic barn dance with pies, cookies, and cupcakes, to a country club affair with a custom creation. With a full selection of ready-made designs, or they can create custom designs for your special event. Images of their ready-made designs and details on custom orders and appointments at magpiescakes.com. MagpiesCakes, All butter, all the time. And now, let's return to our interview with Bill Houston of Houston's Mineral Water in New Market, Tennessee.
2: And uh, some men from Knoxville that ran a branch of the Rexall Drug Company came down here and tried to buy it. And he says it's not for sale. They kept pressing him. And he got the idea while they were talking to him that he could sell the water. Well, since he worked in the trade of, you know, whatever you would want to sell in a store, he was very good friends with the Coca-Cola man. And the Coca-Cola man told him fountain syrup, Coca-Cola that they used to make syrup, fountain drugstore drinks, which you'd have a couple of squirts of Coca-Cola and some carbonated water. You would uh, get that. And it came from this super concentrated Coca-Cola syrup. And when the, the bottles were empty, They were just thrown out and my grandfather being brilliant the way he was got the idea that he would buy these empty coca-cola bottles bring them back here they were incredibly durable beautiful bottles and we'd bring them back here and he would fill them full of hydrochloric acid and burn the sugar out that was uh, deposits and residue inside and wash them out incredibly thoroughly put a brand new cap on it and his own label and it was Houston's mineral water. And he would advertise in um, newspapers all over the country yeah, that it cured certain diseases, of which it would be kidney stones and gallstones and diabetes and arthritis and, 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 and uh, uh, laziness and, and mental <laughs> lapses and all these different things. And there was this enormous list, dyspepsia I remember was one of them, <laughs> And, you know, uh, stomach problems, uh, ulcers of all different types, uh, indigestion, all sorts of things. And because he would have people that would come and get it and they would say, I've been having this problem all my life and I don't have it anymore. So there was no scientific evidence that this did anything. But he thought, well, of course it does that. You know, it's really great water. Mm -hmm. And so he would advertise Well, my grandfather probably knew that the Federal Food and Drug uh, Act of 1917 uh, was in effect, but he ran afoul of it in 1945, and the government took him to federal court because he had claimed that this water cured these diseases. And there was a law written because of all of these people that sold just a bottle of water for you know snake oil, whatever, and it would cure different things. There was a law that said that water cannot be cannot be advertised or claims made that it cures any kind of disease. And so they took him to court in Cincinnati. And they got a lawyer, and he was up there and had a trial. And he produced so many witnesses in the trial in the Cincinnati area that the judge threw out all the charges. He did not have to pay a fine or anything, but he was forbidden from that moment on to ever ever advertise that it was a benefit to your health. Mm -hmm. So he came up with a slogan, uh, the most pleasant taste, because the water tastes really good. In fact, I would say 99% of the people that come here get it just because of the way it tastes. They don't like chlorinated, heavily chemical water tastes, and they like it. It's it's like rainwater. It's just kind of amazing. And so uh, he uh, was forbidden from making health claims after that particular uh, uh, session with the federal government. And because of that, the sales started to dwindle, and people began to kind of not be too interested in it. Because, you know, they wanted to cure, like, you know, I can get water, you know, I don't care about what it tastes like. And until the 19, late, well, really early 1970s. And there was a great resurgence of interest in bottled water and mineral water and spring water and all sorts of things. And it's like Perrier and all these others, Poland Spring, all these others just kind of came on like you wouldn't believe. And so people started to come back and to get it. And it was completely by rumor and completely by word of mouth. And they would come and get water to drink just because they like the way it tastes. And, uh, or as we say in Newmarket, taste is, and uh, it tastes is good, which I've heard out there in the parking lot. So and uh, so I, I use that a lot of times. Like how is it? It's like oh, it tastes is good. And. Uh, Uh, my, when After my grandfather died, my uncle ran it. And my uncle was not very ambitious and was uh, more interested in hunting and fishing and uh, watching ball games and, and having fun with his buddies and driving uh, 150 miles over to North Carolina to have country ham and driving 150 miles to come back. And he was a, he was a brilliant guy but had a a kind of an antisocial aspect about the way, and he didn't like the general public. And so my grandfather, who was this extremely gregarious, extremely friendly, talkative guy... His son that inherited the property was the opposite of him and was not, it was like gruff and grumbled and, and, uh, and people thought there was something wrong with him and he was mad at everybody, but he just had this kind of uh, personality and he was more like his mother. My grandmother was very, very stern, very uninterested in what people thought and, uh, and could care less. And so he was kind of like that. Now my father was more like my grandfather. My father's incredibly uh, funny and uh, good humored, and everybody loved him and everybody uh, spent wanted to spend time with him and all that. But his brother was just like, you know, just like. Uh, 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 I remember saying good morning, and he said, "What's good about it?" And you know, and I got that from him a few times. And he, he was just a he was a bachelor, and he he was a. Um, he, he was highly educated, had a degree in chemistry, but he just never was in a situation where he, uh, at a young age, ever had to work, and uh, my grandfather worked, and his wife worked, and he went fishing, and they didn't force him to work here or anything, and, uh, but he earned a living primarily because he was a whiz at repairing radios and televisions. And he had a radio and TV repair shop and he could fix a TV like ringing a bell. And people back then had all these big giant uh, TVs with tubes in the back. And he had this giant DeSoto car and he would go out to your house and he would be back there with a flashlight held in his teeth and he'd be jiggling tubes and wires. And and if he couldn't fix it, he was unbelievably strong. He, he was, he had the strongest hands of any human being I've ever met in my life. And he would pick these giant Sylvania and Admiral televisions up and just pick them up and just just waddle back to his car and put it in the trunk. And this giant DeSoto in which you could could get five people in the trunk of that car. And he had it completely filled with electronic uh, parts. And uh, so there would be this TV hanging out of the back of the car and he'd bring it back and he would work on it until three o'clock in the morning and then you know there'd be the light on, and i'd see out out of my window the light over there the blue light of the black and white tv on and he'd be watching you know something that was on after he got the thing up, up and running but uh he was not really interested in doing much with it and he was involved in a terrible accident back in the early 70s and then i started uh he never recovered from it and uh uh, he was just crippled. And uh, so I started running it. And so um, uh, he had to go into a nursing home. And uh, so I started running it and I kind of couldn't believe the number of people that were back there and wanting to get water. And so I started uh, trying to fix it up, trying to replace the, the building was in really bad shape and trying to re- replace the, the the actual plumbing in the the, the pumping equipment and all of the stuff that was necessary to operate it. And it took a decade and uh, really a tremendous amount of effort. And uh, so it's kind of in the state that it is now after I kind of realized that I had uh, two other occupations, uh, one working at Carson Newman University and then being a professional artist and needing the time to do that, that I couldn't just sit over there like my uncle did and like my grandfather did sometimes. And so I figured out a way to make it run independently with not having uh, anybody there all the time. And uh, one of the Tennessee tax people uh, that came to uh, review the place uh, couldn't believe that I still, since 1973, operated it on on an honor system and I'm the only continuously operating successful business in Tennessee that runs on the honor system, according to them. Now, there might be a peach orchard or something, you know, which, you know, uh, you have a basket and you go pick your own peaches or something and you leave a dollar, Uh, but to, you know, having actual, uh, you know, to submit, state taxes and and, uh, income taxes and all this kind of stuff from the business, Uh, I was told by somebody once that I was the only successfully operating business in Tennessee that operated on the honor system, and there's no way to make change, and there's a box that just comes out of the floor, it's quarter inch steel, embedded in concrete, and I've actually had people wrap a chain around it and, and go out to the parking lot and put it on their car and try to pull the box out of the floor and and they just sit there, the tire's just burning on the pavement. And I've had other people over there try to cut the lock off and I've got it all figured out so they can't do that. And uh, they were, uh, I've had a lot of uh, uh, amateur, very amateur theft attempts, but uh, uh, they think that this box is just filled with money because it's about, it's about three and a half feet tall. And I think the money just goes all the way down to the floor. There's a chamber underneath it or whatever, but it's a little tiny thing like a half of a cigar box that's up on the top of it, and it you know it fills up with nickels and quarters, and there's occasionally some bills in it. And I have people that uh, buy enormous quantities. I have one uh, these brothers from Dayton, Ohio that drive down here every other month and uh, they'll probably get about 350 wow. gallons. And I've had people come from New Jersey and from Florida, and a lot of people come from Georgia, a lot of people from North Carolina, a lot of people from Eastern Kentucky. And, but the farthest distance that people come on a regular basis is Dayton, Ohio. Hmm. And they come down and they get it for their family and they have these big, huge containers with like like Susie Mae written on the side or uh, Aunt Annie. Or, like a uh, 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 Kelly, and it's written on the side of these big blue plastic containers. And they will, I'll leave the place open for them at night, and they stay open there over there very, very late. And then they'll go to Shoney's, and, uh, and they love All right. that. Oh. I'm calling
4: time. Okay. The food is ready, so we should come eat.
1: And you have been listening to an interview with Bill Houston from Houston's Mineral Water in Newmarket, Tennessee. For more information, hours, and a map to this treasure in our community, HoustonsMineralWater.com. Now, Bill is also an incredibly gifted artist. He also taught as a professor of art at Carson Newman University in Jefferson City, Tennessee for over 40 years. More information about his beautiful art at wchouston.com.
2: This is Alan Benton, and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table.
1: Coming up March 6th through 12th, it's the WDVX Spring Fun Drive. And Mr. Alan Benton himself is going to be sitting in here with me on the 12th. So hope you can tune in for that. We're going to have a special edition of the Tennessee Farm Table from 9 o'clock until 10 o'clock that day. Again, that is March the 12th with Mr. Alan Benton, live in the studio with me. Hope you can join us. It's in the kitchen with Mary Constantine, food writer for the Knoxville New Sentinel.
4: If you're a pimento cheese lover like I am, you might want to try the following recipes. One is from the Tupelo Honey Cafe Cookbook, Spirited Recipes from Asheville's New South Kitchen, and the other is from the Blackberry Farm Cookbook, Four Seasons of Great Food and the Good Life. The ingredients needed for the Blackberry Farm pimento cheese are six tablespoons of mayo, two tablespoons of pickle juice, one and a half teaspoons of dijon mustard, one teaspoon of hot sauce, they prefer frank's red hot sauce, a teaspoon of minced garlic, a half a teaspoon of kosher salt, one teaspoon freshly ground pepper, one roasted red pepper skin seeded and chopped, a half of a cup of pimento pieces drained, and a pound of grated mild or medium-sharp cheddar cheese. To prepare it, all you do is stir together the mayonnaise, the pickle juice, the mustard, hot sauce, garlic, salt, and pepper until it's nice and smooth. Then you fold in the red pepper, the pimentos, and the cheddar cheese. Chill for at least 30 minutes before you serve it and it makes approximately four cups. Now the Tupelo honey pimento cheese is a warm pimento cheese. Uh, To prepare that, you need eight ounces of cheddar cheese, shredded, a half of a cup of mayo, a tablespoon of Dijon mustard, a tablespoon of stone ground mustard, a teaspoon of mustard powder, a half a teaspoon of sea salt, a fourth of a teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper, two tablespoons of minced fresh parsley, one half cup finely diced roasted red bell peppers, and some tortilla chips for serving. To prepare it, you combine the cheese, the mayonnaise, the mustard, the stone ground mustard, the mustard powder, the salt, the pepper, the parsley, and the roasted bell peppers together in a microwavable dish. Then you place that in the microwave for about 20 seconds or until it's hot through. Or you can put it in a baking pan and in a preheated oven, cook it for about 15 minutes. Again, serve that with your favorite tortilla chips. This makes approximately two cups of pimento cheese. This is Mary Constantine with the Tennessee Farm Table.
1: If you've just joined us, you are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table radio show and podcast. Broadcasting on the radio waves every Saturday morning from Knoxville, Tennessee at 89.9 FM and streamed live at WDVX.com. You can always listen to this show on your schedule at TennesseeFarmTable.com or check out our podcast on iTunes. And now it's time for the gospel portion of our radio broadcast. We like to call this our daily bread. How about if we go way on back to the late, great, hank williams senior with a beautiful little song here called thank god
3: there's a road that's straight and narrow that the saints have traveled on paved with all the tribulations of the martyrs that have gone if you're grateful for their victory and for showing us the way then give thanks for all your blessings Get on your knees and pray Thank God for every flower and each tree. Thank God for all the mountains and the sea Thank God for giving life to you and me Wherever you may be Thank God In this world of grief and sorrow self selfishness and greed, there remains a glory fountain to supply of every need. You can find it in the temple with the welcome on the door. But be sure to count your blessings before you ask for more. Thank God for every flower and each tree. Thank God for all the mountains and the sea. Forgiven to the wayward Like the master told us to When he said forgive them father For they know not what they do They would change their way of living If they could but understand So remember they're your brother They need a helping hand
1: want to say thank you so much for your great company here today on the Tennessee Farm Table. We hope that you can join us again right back here at nine o'clock at wdvx.com or online at tennesseefarmtable.com. We're going to talk about lining up our gardens for spring. Our theme song was written by myself, Amy Campbell, and beautifully performed by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. More information about Emmy Sunshine at theemmysunshine.com. That's spelled T-H-E-E-M-I-sunshine.com. We want to say thank you to WDVX for bringing to you pure community broadcasting, just like this show. They are our media partner, and we couldn't do this without them. More information at wdvx.com. We'd love to invite you to connect with us on Twitter and Facebook at TennesseeFarmTable.com and check out our podcast. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.